This is a recording of Gail Miller speaking about the Critical Thinking Project at the Sunday, March 6th meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist podcast on Stitcher or iTunes. If you would like to help us produce this podcast and to make better recordings in the future, email us at info at bchumanist.ca. I'm here this morning to talk about the Critical Thinking Project, and this is a new initiative in a continuous quest to expand secular education in the developing world. So what is it? Well, I just said it was our new initiative, and I'll get to talking about our pilot project in Guatemala, but we did have a successful pilot project there, so we are really ready to take this this project and launch it. So if you're interested in helping us out with this project, we would love to have you. We need all a lot of help to get this thing up and going to other parts of the world. And what it is is that we are providing critical thinking skills to teachers and students in developing countries. And we're using the format by um, Dr. Chris DiCarlo, how many people here have seen Chris Carlo? He often speaks, and he's a big on critical thinking. And um, his, his format was the easiest and the nicest and the best to use when talking with to students. We're looking at students kind of in the high school range. We went to the foundation of critical thinking, but their whole thing about critical thinking had a lot of circles, looked very theoretical, didn't think this was going to go over so well with students and teachers. So we stuck with uh, Chris DiCarlo. We went in person to Guatemala, but we're hoping in the future that it can be done through Skype and it can be downloaded. Chris is working on getting a package together where teachers can just download his program. And as I said, we were in Guatemala, Chris DiCarlo, uh, myself and his son were in Guatemala last month uh, testing the whole critical thinking project out. Why is it important? Well, what we think influences how we behave. And how we behave affects others, and how others behave affects us. And critical thinking teaches us to be fair. And this is a really big component in Chris's um, critical thinking schema. He says fairness is the cornerstone of it, and we'll see that as we go through it. The other reason why it's important is developing countries tend to emphasize rote memory, not creative thinking. So people are not really taught to think for themselves. They're not really taught to challenge very much. I was talking to a woman from Lebanon, and I was telling her about the project, and she said, well, I just can't believe somebody from Canada has to go all the way down to Guatemala to tell these people how to think. And I explained to her, I said, well, the curriculum there is really focused on road memory. You know, know your math, know your history, know your dates. And she says, oh, you know, that's exactly what it is like in the Middle East. And she said, even doctors and engineers in the Middle East think in little boxes because 
That is the curriculum in most of these developing countries. Rote memory, don't challenge, don't, and they don't learn how to problem solve, which is strange because in these countries they have lots of problems. So that's why we thought about taking critical thinking to these countries. It also came up when we had read that Youth for Christ was going into high schools in Kenya under the guise of uh, guidance and counseling, and they were getting easy access into these high schools and working with the kids there. So then I thought, well, if Youth for Christ can get into the schools, and we're a little bit biased, but we really thought our critical thinking thing was a better deal, and maybe we should get into the schools too. So first, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Chris Carlo. He's a board member of Ontario Free Thinkers and CFI. He is a professor of philosophy at the University of Toronto. He currently has developed a critical thinking program for high school students in Ontario and is working with the Ministry of Education to get it out to students across the province. And he's the author of How to Be a Pain in the Ass, a Critical Thinker's Guide to Asking the Right Questions. I don't know, has anyone heard of the book, read it? Oh, okay. I haven't finished reading it yet, but I have a copy. Well, I might have some spoiler alerts for you to this. <laughs> okay, so what made Chris's critical thinking thing so great for students is its simplicity. He has the ABCs of critical thinking. So we're going to go through them today, but it worked really well. So A is for argument, B is for bias, C is for context, D is for diagram or diagramming, E is for evidence, and F is for fallacies. So we're going to start with argument. In critical thinking, argument is a good, it's a good thing. And it's a good thing if you build your argument. Arguments tend to make you more clearly understood if you have all your reasoning behind you. So we, start the, we started the session off this first day and Chris would ask the students, who's your favorite athlete? Who's your favorite singer? Well, the very first day, you know, Justin Bieber came up, Messi came up, and then we would ask the students, well, why is that? Oh, you know, I just really like him. Oh, you know, Messi's the greatest. Those are not acceptable answers in critical thinking. I don't know, I just like him, no. So we went through, Chris went through the whole thing with him about how to build an argument to make yourself more clearly understood. And by doing that, arguments can lead to collegial discussions as opposed to emotional, heated things where people have rushed off to judgments and bad feelings prevail. So what he says is that the conclusion is, I like Justin Bieber. Well, why do you? Well, you have to have your premise. You have to build the walls of the house so that your roof will stand. And so he got the kids to do that, that exercise. And I'm just going to give you an example of how it can work really well. So I meet a 16-year-old girl, and I say, who's your favorite musician? She says, Justin Bieber. And I say, oh, why do you like Justin Bieber? Well, I don't know, he's you know, really hot, he looks good. 
you know, I'm kind of left standing there going, well, what does that mean? Like, where is this going, right? Those type of answers, unfounded arguments, they tend to make us rush to judgments very quickly. It won't be long before I'm kind of looking at her like, well, that's the youth of today. We're in a lot of trouble. And she's looking at me like, well, you're just too old to even understand. But let's go back and use Chris's diagram of the house. Who's your favorite musician? Justin Bieber. Why? Well, Justin Bieber has made mistakes, and he's owned up to them. His music really resonates with me. And at 16 years old, attractiveness is a pretty big thing for me, and I think that he's very attractive. From there, I can say, well, what kind of mistakes did Justin Bieber make? We can have a discussion. At the end of the discussion, it's not likely that I'm going to say Justin Bieber is now my favorite musician, but at least I, she made herself clearly understood. I learned a few things about it. We had a nice conversation, which was way better than just the, I don't know, I don't know, what's wrong with you, you know? So that's why um, Carl, Chris really, really emphasizes build your arguments. Arguments are based on a premise and a conclusion, and it will make you clearly understood, and people are less likely to think you're just pulling stuff out of the air. The next one is bias. Recognizing that there are natural and cultural factors that make us all very different. So the biological um, factors are like our genetics, neuropsychology, gender, age, cultural biases or ethnicity, religion, family, friends. And this worked really well because Chris and I and his son were from Canada and we were in Guatemala, so we could see right away the differences. Chris and I were much older than these students. So there was going to be way big differences in, because of age. You know, they really found certain things very appealing, eh, not so much. Chris was trying to tell them that Led Zeppelin was really the best musician in the whole world. And, you know, one person got it, but the rest of them were just like, what, who? Um, and then Chris was trying to tell them on a cultural thing, hockey is a really good sport. Well, some of them had never even heard of hockey. It was all soccer. The weather in February in Guatemala was just hot enough for Chris and I. We wanted nothing hotter. So we could go through all the different biases. But the really important thing of this one is that because of our biases, we're not all going to agree. And you have to accept that. And that was something that they really had to sink in. You're just, people are not going to agree, accept it, move on. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have your arguments well founded. Context. The information you receive often comes with a lot of background factors. The time, the place, the circumstances. We can hear a statement, but if we don't know where it's coming from or, or the timing or what's happening in that, around that piece of information, we can take it the wrong way. So here's my example for you. This picture is in Kibera slum, just in Nairobi. Kibera slum is a huge slum. Thousands and thousands of people live there. They live in congested air quarters, uh, mud huts, 
Uh, it's just packed, and like that's that's a typical walkway between houses, and there's just rows and rows of them. So this gentleman here was doing a tour of Pagara Slums, and I noticed that the front doors were kind of flimsy, you know, a little piece of wood. I said, well, gee, what do you do if people rob you? Well, the man says, we take them out to the field, out just outside of the slum, put a tire necklace on them and kill them. I was horrified. I just was, wow, <laughs> that's a little severe. Um, had it stopped at that point, I, I, rushed, I would have rushed very quickly to a judgment that these people are really brutal. And if I was in my right mind, I'd get myself out of Kibera really fast in case I get accused of doing anything. But then he went on to explain, there is no police force in Kibera. And if the police do show up, it's not for something good. So, and you're in this really congested little city that kind of has to operate on itself. The people in Kibera are very poor. They work very hard for what little they get. Someone takes that away, it really sets them back. Then you put that in the bigger context that in Nairobi proper itself, if police find someone robbing another person, they'll shoot them dead on the sidewalk. So you put those, add those things to his statement, oh, we just kill them. Yeah, I have a better understanding now of why they do what they do. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it helps to explain why robbery is such a big deal there and why they're so severe with it. D is for diagramming. And this basically is just saying, if you can put your arguments in a diagram, it makes it that much more solid. You've thought, it shows that you've thought it through, right? If you have to sit there and, and put it down. Now, it's not the, even Chris will say, it's not the most important of all the ABCs. But if you really have to present an argument or feel strongly about something, then you should. You should sit down and say, what are my assumptions? What are my premises? And my conclusion is, so we like, in the Justin Bieber thing, my assumption is that if, pe if guys look good, then they're good. If people make mistakes and own up to it, well, that's even better. And you build it and it just makes it stronger and it helps you to be much more understood. He is for evidence. And um, Chris always uses Carl Sagan's uh, line, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So you need to get evidence to support your arguments. And the criteria that Chris has is consistency. He's got these four. The first one is consistency. He calls that the mother of all criteria. If your evidence is consistent over a long period of time, that really counts for something. Reliability. How did you get it? How was it gathered? Was it, if you're looking at scientific evidence, was it done in an approved study? Uh, things like that. Relevance. Lots of times people like to confuse the arguments with things that are, are irrelevant and throw it in and put evidence in of other things. And we see a lot of that right now in the US in the, the presidential race. You know, the Republicans are now talking about body parts and who sweats and who doesn't. 
well, really, what does that have to do with how are you going to be as a president? So that, that's pretty common, that people will stick in all kinds of inform silly information. And is it sufficient? If I say, you know, today is kind of cloudy, I don't really need a lot of evidence for that. We just have to look out the window and we're fine. If I say, well, I believe in Bigfoot, well, then I need a lot of evidence. I need, you know, some claim that exists, sightings, or pieces of hair, whatever. Um, and so it just goes back to what Carl Sagan said. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And this is the last one, and this is fallacies. A fallacy is an error in reasoning. And you need to identify fallacies both in your own thinking and in other people's thinking. And there are over about 150 <laughs> informal fallacies. And I'm just going to give some examples of three very, very common ones. Now, I think this person is probably guilty of using all 150 fallacies. And we could spend most of the day going through them, but I have one. So I heard Donald Trump speak on TV last week, and he was just ramping up proud, and he was going on about free trade and companies that were, had moved to Mexico. And some poor, uh, an air conditioning company had moved to Mexico, and he was going to go after them. And, you know, when he became president, he was going to phone up that president, and the minute one of those air conditioning units hit the U.S. border, he was going to slap a 35% duty on the air conditioning unit. And the crowd is just cheering, and Donald is like, we're going to get them. But think about it. If that company has to pay 35% duty at the border for its unit, what are the chances that it's going to be them that gets hit with it? What if all those people that are cheering, because they think they're really sticking it to this company, end up with an air conditioning unit that costs 35% more? What if the company says, no, I'm not going to sell it to the U.S. I'm going to go sell it somewhere else. So this is what we call ad hoc reasoning. It's disorganized. It's kind of like pulling things here and there. And people are just cheering. And they're not really thinking through this. I mean, they could be cheering because they're going to pay more for their air conditioning unit, which just doesn't make sense. Another fallacy is appeal to emotion. Now, I don't think there's anything cuter in the world than a kitten. So if someone showed this picture to me and said, well, you know, these kittens, they're going to be in the chopping block because we can't find homes and we need money to find homes for them and advertise our cause, well, I'd probably be shelling out the dollars right then and there. And T. Barnett spoke about this. He was here, I think it was in December, and he talked about, you know, effective altruism, and lots of charities will use this. And who knows what these people are going to do with the money. Maybe these kittens don't even really exist in their care. You know, maybe they take my money and go spend it on lunch or something. But they appeal to emotion so that you're just overridden with this desire to help out as opposed to thinking, well, just a minute, what's, what's going on here? Last one, and this is one that's really quite common, and I think it gets worse each year. It's confirmation bias. It's when people only tend to look or get information that fits in with their beliefs. 
they're not really interested in changing their beliefs or opinions. They're not really interested in getting all the viewpoints. They're just going to find whatever information they can find that's going to just fit nicely in there. And the example I have for this is I had the very unfortunate uh, experience of, sit, of traveling home from Guatemala with a person who believed that all media was lying to us. And it's, he sounded like a conspiracy theorist, and I just wanted to groan because it was a five-hour flight, and I thought, oh, I, I don't want to listen to this. But I spent three days with Chris DiCarlo and critical thinking, and I thought, oh, well, maybe I better start using my critical thinking skills. This will be a really good place. So I started asking him, all media, you know, BBC, New York Times, oh, yeah, all media was just bad. They were lying to us. They had everything wrong, and the biggest thing that they had wrong was that Putin was actually a pretty good guy. What? Now, I just finished reading the book Red Notice, which was about all the corruption in, in Russia, and some poor lawyer was tortured and murdered in the cells, and according to the author of the book, it went as high as Putin. So I brought that up to him. I said, wow, gee, I don't know. This book is <laughs> making it sound pretty bad. Nope, nope, nope. Putin was a good guy, and not only that, Gaddafi was not that bad either. So I said, well, where are you getting your information? Well, there is a man in England who blogs all this stuff. And this guy just follows him right down the line. He said, oh, this guy is just fantastic. So I sat there and I thought, you dismiss every media around the world, but you're going to follow this one guy who we don't, you probably, he doesn't even know that much about, in England, who writes a blog. As you can tell, I didn't get very far. I had to just say, well, here's an error of reasoning here. <laughs> and it turned out to be less painful to sit and listen to my nutty details of his divorce and how awful his ex-wife was than to go back and have to listen to all of this stuff. You're part of the conspiracy. Yes. <laughs> we just stuck with the ex-wife. <laughs> that kept him going for at least four hours. But this confirmation bias, as I said, is pretty common. And I think I read somewhere, and maybe someone can correct me on this, that it does get worse every year. That we all, in mostly North America, do tend to live in areas, work in jobs, have friends, that all kind of confirm our beliefs. And it's so it's something that we need to be very aware of. So those are the ABCs of critical thinking. And if you use those ABCs in critical thinking, you're being fair. You're recognizing, well, we're not all going to agree, and you've made some really good points on your arguments, and you know, I understand the context, and you've got some evidence. And it just makes us less likely to judge people, to just say, oh, are you stupid or what? You know, like, I'm not wasting any time with you. Um, it just makes us better citizens. And that is a really key point that Chris brings up over and over again. When you use critical thinking, thinking responsibly, being fair, and another word that he uses a lot is do no harm. You can have your beliefs, you can have your opinions, and if you're not harming anybody with it, fine, carry on. But 
think responsibly, and be fair. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about the Guatemala pilot project. So we went to Guatemala City for one week in February. We went to two different schools. We went, uh, most of the schools in Guatemala are private. Uh, the public system has a few schools in the city. They have one or two show schools outside the city. Oh, it, it uh, just gets worse. But anyway, so we found these two private schools. One was sort of an upper class, um, middle class school, very nice. Um, interesting enough, the director of that school was a missionary from Spain, went to Cuba to do missionary work, met Fidel Castro, and that was the end of the missionary work. So now he's the director of the school, and of course, quite open to critical thinking. So we had two groups there. The other, and this was interesting, was a Catholic school, Emiliano Instituto, and it was in a working class area in Guatemala City. And we met with them beforehand, and the father, you know, the priest came in, all the rest. Of the two schools, they were the most excited. The director of that school just really hated the Guatemalan curriculum. He said it's just too based on memory. So he was ecstatic that we could have that he could have this chance to teach his kids how to think outside the box a bit. In fact, they were so interested that they wanted Chris to come back in the afternoon one day and do a session with the teachers. So we went there, and the thing that is really important, and Chris has it in his program, and we're gonna make sure that it's in the Critical Thinking Project, and this also goes back to T. Barnett and Effective Altruism. We give surveys to the students before and after the presentation to measure the impact. And I were thinking about possibly going back several months later and asking the students again, how much did they actually retain? Did they actually use the material very well? And it's very simple. It's like five questions. What is an opinion? What is a bias? What is an argument? And we have the surveys, but I just got some of them back and they need to be translated because they're all in Spanish. But initially, bias was left empty. The, the kids could not answer it. So it's gonna be interesting to find out whether they have a better sense of bias when we go to the post surveys. But that is an important part of the project. So this is the first school. This is the upper middle class school, very nice girls. And then the last day, so they had two days, two sessions with Chris, and on the last day, he got them to break into groups, debate things, and, and come back and, and argue their point. And the response from this school was that the kids really enjoyed it, and that they wished that they had had more time. So this school has got a science week coming up, and they're going to uh, make critical thinking a really big part of the science week. And they're going to see if they can get someone from the Guatemala Humanistas to come in and do another thing on critical thinking. And I forgot to mention, this project is largely due to the Guatemala Humanistas. They are a great group of people in Guatemala fighting a lot of incredible battles. And they were happy enough to set this up for us and we're really indebted to them. Okay, this is Chris speaking to that same group of kids. 
This is, and then this is the other school. The red the guy in the red shirt is David Panetta. He is the uh, president of the Guatemala Humanistas. There's Chris, and as you can see, he was translating. The first school, we didn't have to have translation. The kids um, were learning enough English that they could understand. Uh, this school, David uh, did the translating, and Chris was there. And this school, very interesting enough, when we asked, who is your favorite musician and who are your heroes? They came up with Bob Marley and Stephen Hawking. And, you know, I'd love to know the context of those because, you know, the other school was exactly what you expected. Justin Bieber and Messi, but this one was different. The results of this. After one day, 40 minutes of just doing A, B, and C, one of the teachers in the first school, and this teacher was old enough to have lived through the Guatemala uh, Civil War of the 80s and 90s. And right now, Guatemala, is Guatemala City is considered one of the most violent cities in the world. And she got up, and she was just so thankful. And she spoke in Spanish, but I knew enough Spanish, and she was so emotional and thanking Chris for the message he was giving him. Because in these countries where violence is still a big part of life, these are this is a very powerful message. Be fair, think responsibly, don't get mad at people, ask questions, build an argument. It was very well received by everybody. And as I said in the other school, they were so ecstatic about it that they had the teachers meet with Chris uh, to carry on with it. And that's what I think will make this program really worthwhile once we expand. A lot of these countries are dealing with violence. They still have elements of tribal society where you know one tribe is better than the other. Oh, you belong to that one. I'm not listening to you. And you know, this is something that is really, really important for these kids to hear. We did. Two set, we did, well, four sessions with students. But the focus now is going to be on teachers. Uh, that was Chris's recommendation after this. He said, stick with the teachers. Of course, we can get to more students by going to the teachers. And um, so we're going to focus on that. And we're not, we're, we don't have to visit the next country. We don't have to visit all these countries. That, that'll just get us too wildly expensive. Um, but we had to do it in Guatemala because we just had to see for ourselves, what is the reaction? How does this go down? Are kids falling asleep? Or, you know, teachers like, you know, walking out of the room saying, well, you look after our kids for the next hour. So we had to kind of just see how the whole thing would work out. But that's not likely the way that this is going to go. Uh, there is a school, one of the humanist schools in Uganda, uh, is interested. And we're looking at trying to get a Skype session going with Chris and the teachers. We'll send them all the information, the booklets, and that's kind of the way that we're going to go. And that is it. That is a project. Uh, anyone is interested in this project, we'd love to have you on. Um, we got a lot to do. Any questions?